problems. No one likes problems, do they? No one likes problems. When I was preparing this, I thought about a maths textbook. I don't know why, but I tend to think of my school days a lot these days. And I remember a school textbook, and it said on the front this one word, problems. I didn't like maths, and I couldn't do problems. But we have problems, don't we, in our lives? We always have problems. Uh, people used to come up to me in my desk at work and used to say, Dave, we've got a problem. Oh, no. What's happened now? Uh, we've got knee problems. We've got back problems. We've got car problems. Life is full of problems, isn't it? Life is full of problems. And the Christian life, although the Christian life is a wonderful life, with a glorious prospect at the end, isn't it? I've been thinking of dear ones who've gone to glory. There's always that glory to come. And yet life has its problems. Jesus said to his disciples, didn't he? Jesus spoke reality to them. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's an all-encompassing word for problems and difficulties, troubles and temptations. We have all those things. And here we're thinking about a physical journey in Exodus. We're thinking about a physical journey. It's a picture of our spiritual journey. And this journey has problems. All journeys have problems. Some have big problems when we break down or we can't find a way or whatever. And in this example journey, the vivid pictures there are in the Old Testament, the Old Testament narrative, it just shows us what the Christian life is like. There's a problem. There's a problem. This chapter is about a problem. And that problem is idolatry. It is idolatry. We've read in Psalm 106, we've sung in the hymn, it's just emphasized to us the history of God's people. Here they made a molded calf. Here they created a problem for themselves. And sometimes that can be, can't it? Problems come at us from the left and from the right, from behind and in front. But sometimes we make our own problems. And here is the history of God's people, and they created their own problem. Now, you may say, well, this is just history. This, what, what's this got to do with me? Well, we've been thinking, haven't we, time and time again about that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us, in verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after, run after evil things like they did, and not become idolaters as some of them did. So what it's saying to us is this. There's a problem here. There's a problem here in the story, which is our problem in our story. There's a problem in the physical journey, which is a problem for us in the spiritual journey. Now, you may never have thought in the past that all the problems you have, that idolatry is a problem. You might have said, okay, yes, I have work problems, I've got financial problems, I've got uh, difficult problems with my health and so on. I've even got problems in my Christian life. I find the problem of assurance and, uh, and my weak faith and lack of prayer. I can see all those problems, but look, I've never, I've never got a molded calf and sort of put it in the garden and bowed down and worshipped it and danced around it. No, that's true. 
But what they are doing here, what we are seeing here in this passage, physically, is what we do spiritually. Idolatry is for you and for me a big problem. And because it's a big problem, and this passage is so important, we're not going to just take one week on it. We're going to take a little time about it because it's so important that we understand this problem. So we're going to look at it in three ways. We're going to sort of see why, first of all. Why is idolatry a problem to us? Maybe we've never thought about that before. Maybe we've never assessed that or, 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 or thought that it's a problem. So that's important, isn't it? And then how? How does it become a problem for us? And of course, we need to then say, well, what do we do? What do we do about this problem? What does this passage teach us? So if you're making notes, the first thing is this. Why is idolatry my problem? Because you might say, I don't think it is. And the word of God says to you, it is a problem. Why is idolatry my problem? There's none of us here, none of us, where it's not a problem. So this is for all of us. Well, we have to define our terms, don't we? We have to say, well, what is idolatry then? What is idolatry? Is idolatry like this, where there's gold melted down, the image of a calf made, erected so everybody can see it, and a big party. Is that what it is? No. That is what it might be and what it was here, but it's not everything. What we have to do is just flick back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 and to note that when God gave us the Ten Commandments, he gave those unchanging laws, those ten words, he began by telling us about this matter of idolatry and setting out for us what it is. So in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Well, we've learned together, haven't we, that we were once in bondage. If we're Christians, we were once slaves to sin. He is our Redeemer he has brought us out spiritually so that we might be on this journey like the people were on their physical journey. They were heading to the promised land. We're heading to heaven. Here are his instructions. Here are his pointers to the Lord Jesus Christ who kept these laws perfectly so that we might follow him and we watch him. And he says to us this, you shall have no other gods before me. So in, in front of me, there's to be no others. Nothing else, that, nothing else that means you can't see me. No, nothing else that distracts you from me. Nothing else that deflects your attention from me in the journey. I am to be first all the time, every time, throughout time. And then he says, you shall not make for you any carved image. Ah, here we have it. In other words, we don't make anything. Uh, anything in the likeness of anything, a anything that's on the earth. 
and we won't, we're not to bow down to it or to serve it or worship it in any way. And verse 7, we're not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. In other words, we're not to, we're not to think of anything or anyone else above God, bringing God's name down beneath other things, because those other things become God's. Can you see how at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, and we'll see next time how all the commandments reference idolatry. But when God sets out his list, just like we set out lists, we say, I must do that first. That's, that's the important thing. That's, that's what goes first. And God says this matter of idolatry is something that comes first in his list. First three commandments, maybe the first four commandments, maybe all the commandments really tell us not to engage in idolatry. Now, the people have not yet seen Moses come down with those two tablets of stone. And, and we, we always wonder, don't we, how big were they? Have you carried big tablets of stone? Have you carried big stones? Sometimes there's pictures, aren't there, of, of Moses with these huge, great pieces of stone. Moses was an ordinary man. He wasn't a young man. And they weren't that big, of course. But the key thing was that God had engraved these things on those tablets of stone. They, they have not yet been shown to them. When they are shown to them, you see what happens, what idolatry does. In verse 19 of our chapter, if you go back there, they are smashed. And that's a picture, really, of every single commandment is smashed on the ground by Moses because the idolatry has broken all the commands. But you see, they've heard them. They've not yet seen Moses with those two amazing tablets of stone which were kept by the people then in all their generations. But they've heard them. We've read that. We've seen that, haven't we, in chapter 24. They've heard them. And they've affirmed them. We read in that chapter how Moses wrote down the words of the covenant, the promises that God had made, and they affirmed their promises. They said, these are good things. We will keep them. We will obey them. And all through, they'd seen, hadn't they, how God had evidenced who he was by his salvation, by their redemption, by coming through the Red Sea, providing for them with the manna, all the amazing things that God had done. Surely God was God and nothing else and no one else, not a thought should be before him. Nothing representing him. But you see, idolatry is a problem. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 what a problem it is. Not just then, but throughout time, you can flick on to Romans 1, read verses 21 to 25, or just listen to it. What Paul is saying here is, in the history of the world, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, or were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, 
because what did they do? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature, the created things, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Who did? Just these people? No, all people. If we read the history of the world, the history of the world is the history of men and women doing exactly that. Though God is God, the God of those commandments is God, yet throughout history, in one way or another, we have disobeyed his commands and become idolaters. Idolaters. And history shows us, and the word of God shows us, how sinful and foolish and ugly and ridiculous at times idolatry is, but it's seriousness. It's seriousness. There's a note of seriousness about this message this morning. And next week too, a note of seriousness. Because idolatry is serious. It is idolatry that keeps you from God. Before you're a Christian, you've got other things that you, you do or think about or, or love beyond and before God. Idolatry is what keeps you from becoming a Christian. And when you become a Christian, idolatry is that which continues to distract you from God. So that there are times in our lives, even moments in a day, longer time when our attention upon God and his priorities and looking to him and loving him is deflected and distracted by something or someone that gets in the way. Another God before me. So what is idolatry? Well, if you have a look at your hymn sheet, you'll see on your hymn sheet there, there's, I thought, a helpful definition you see before the fourth hymn. I'll just read it out and so we can look at it together. Uh, A.W. Pink, in his commentary on uh, Exodus, he says this, An idol is anything which displaces God in my heart. It may be something that's quite harmless in itself, yet if it absorbs me, if it is given the first place in my affections and thoughts, it becomes an idol. That's quite something, isn't it, to think that idols are not molded calves which can, we, can, we can see and say, well, that's just crazy. I would never do that. They can be things which are quite harmless in themselves. And yet if they take the first place in my affections and thoughts, they become an idol. Pink goes on, anyone or anything which comes into competition with the Lord ruling me in a practical way is an idol. So we see that idolatry is not something narrow or small. It's not a, an incidental or a, a little issue. Idolatry is a big thing. It is, it is the thing which holds men and women, boys and girls, back so that they walk towards a lost eternity. 
thinking that things and others and stuff and philosophies and ideas are greater than God. And they walk into hell. And it's that which holds Christians back from a close walk with God and deflects them and distracts them, just like these people here. These were the people of God. What are they doing? They're trying to sort of mix God with other things. They're trying to worship God but worship an idol. They've got confused and bemused and distracted, just like us. So we can go on going to church and we can go on in our Christian lives, but actually we become idol worshippers. Idolatry starts in the mirror in the morning and spreads throughout all our lives. Somebody said there's a picture in your house of your greatest idol. Probably in the bathroom. Somewhere in your house. You look at it every day. Sometimes, many times in the day. Some of us perhaps look as if we don't look at it very often. But we do. It's you. And it's me. Because above all things, the thing, the person we put before God, which masks our view of God and distracts us and, and takes us away from God is ourselves. That's why on that away day last year, we talked about the great monster self. <laughs> so when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning and you start to shave or put your eyeliner on or whatever you ladies do, you say, there's the great monster. There's my worst and greatest idol. And we have to say, don't we, like the hymn writer, and we'll sing it next week, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, Lord, help me to tear it from your throne and worship only John Calvin has some very helpful comments on this passage. He says this, Every one of us from our mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. Every one of us from our mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. And he goes on to say that the devil has a whole host of masks that he loves to hide behind the idols which he knows we love. He hides behind it our career, our money, our things, our interests, our sports, our dreams, our plans, our relationships we look like, our image, our prestige, position, family, children, houses, cars, and a thousand, thousand other things. Just in that list, you can say, 
There's nothing wrong in having a car. There's nothing wrong in having a house, is there? There's certainly nothing wrong in having a wife, a husband, or a family. Of course not. But what we said is this. If they come before you and God, they become an idol. Things are the wrong way round. It is God first. And these other things then fall into place. And are the good things that they should be. So let's just pause for a moment um, and ask this question. Are you a Christian yet? Are you a Christian yet? If not, it's idolatry that's keeping you from coming to the Lord Jesus. Let's ask the question, are you a Christian? Things not doing too well in your Christian life. Hmm. Is it idolatry that's keeping you from a close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? i just give you an example. It's a, a remarkable example. It's one of those Old Testament examples that is so vivid. It's, it's a standout example, isn't it? Here is Jonah. He's a Christian, we would say, wouldn't we? And he's given a task by God. Oh, to be given a task by God, isn't that the most wonderful thing? Isn't that the most wonderful privilege to have? To be given a life to live for God? For God. But he runs away. He's distracted. And he tells us this, in the belly of the fish, in the belly of the fish, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. We have to learn, don't we? That the key thing in our lives, the greatest thing in our lives, the thing on which everything else hangs, because without it, we're lost. And life's meaningless and hopeless, as we saw on Wednesday, is salvation. And that's of the Lord. And Jonah says in that fish, when he's been brought face to face with his stupidity and his idolatry and his self-love and everything else that's keeping him from walking with God. Those that regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Don't forsake the mercy of God by putting other things in front of God. Well, let's just begin for a few minutes on the second thing because that is why idolatry is such a problem to me. Perhaps we've, perhaps we've never really thought of it like that. Perhaps we've never really considered this subject. Well, we need to. Now, in this passage, let's, let's think of the passage more specifically and, and find out the things which caused idolatry to become a problem. Because what God does in the Old Testament, he illustrates things. He gives us pictures, examples, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, to show us so that he can admonish us. That sounds as if he's going to sort of um, 
give us a, a good old belting. Well, that word admonish, it just simply means this, putting into our minds the priorities we should have. So here we have God showing us by the physical things which happen, things which help us with our spiritual walk with God. Now, how does idolatry become a problem? Well, the first thing that we see here, so go back to chapter 32. We might only have time for one or two of these. But the first thing that we see is the invisibility of God. The invisibility of God. Now, let's explain what we mean. Keep your finger in there, and if you can, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11. And isn't it remarkable how with these things, we have to let the Bible speak about the Bible. That's what the Bible does. The Bible comments upon itself, backwards and forwards. So here we are in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, the history of God's people is reviewed. And it's all about faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 27, it says this. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, Pharaoh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Can you see that key, key thought there in verse 27? It's almost a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Seeing him who is invisible. How can you see someone who's invisible? By faith. By faith. That's what the whole chapter is about. And very specifically, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Moses was called himself and to call upon the people to walk on this journey by faith, seeing God who is invisible. Invisible. Now, how does idolatry come in? Well, it comes in because they couldn't see God. And they couldn't see Moses. He's disappeared up the mountain. And they say to Aaron, make us something. Make us something that can be a representation of God. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that what God said you must not do? That is they thought this was going to help them. God has said, this will hinder you. This will distract you. This will disturb you. And it's often the invisibility of God in our lives that causes us to have an idol or idols. Paul says to 1 Timothy 1, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 17, he says this, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. And the thing is, you see, what happens is this. We can't see God, can we? So our heart cries out, God, why can't I see you? Why, 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 why can't you show me something of yourself? Uh, in my Christian life, I, I get up in the morning, I, I don't feel you here with me. 
somehow I pray and it seems to just bounce off the ceiling and I read your word and it's as dry as dust and so on. Oh, I, I need something. I need something to represent you. They said, didn't they, come make us gods so that we can see. Aaron says, verse 14, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. No, it's not. But they wanted a representation of that God. They wanted something which would deflect their attention to that as opposed to God who is invisible. And you find in verse 8 that they are worshipping and sacrificing to it. It, they've got mixed up, haven't they? It was going to be to the Lord, but they end up worshipping it. It's very clear that that is what they are doing. So faith falters, idolatry arises, idolatry takes hold, faith diminishes, and there's a downward spiral. We want to put the visible in the place of the invisible. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is why we pray over and over again in our journey with God, Lord, please increase my faith. Strengthen my faith. Now, faith is not some nebulous, airy, fairy thing, you know, floating about. Faith is putting trust in something that never changes, always reliable, always true. What is that? It is God's word. So walking by faith, we read God's word, and we see what he says, and we walk by what he says. Oh, but I can't see you. He's in his word. The Lord Jesus is in his word, isn't he? He is the image of the only God, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has come into this world to be within the word, the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Those disciples had an immense privilege of walking with Jesus, linking arms with him, talking with him, sharing food with him. But we, by faith, walk with the same Lord Jesus in his word. In my job, um, in preparing for uh, uh, another role, I had to um, be trained to be a surveyor, an insurance surveyor, to look at security and fire protection, all those sort of things. I used to go to businesses, and we dealt with a man who was an Asian man. Uh, turned out he was a Hindu man. He was a good businessman, and he earned a whole bundle of chemist shops in Leicester. I had to go and meet this man. I had to go and look at the shop and the storage of his, all the drugs that he had and so on. He invited me in. I was in the shop. There was a normal chemist shop. He lived behind the shop. And we went into his house. And I couldn't believe what I saw. There were shelves of idols. The Hindu believes in God, 
in a whole pantheon. And he has him on his shelf. And you may say, well, I'm a Christian. I I wouldn't do that. That's, That's not what I'd do. No, but God has a surveyor. The Holy Spirit. And he comes into your heart. And what does he see on the shelf? What things have you got there? Have I got there? In the shelves of my heart and my thought life, and my priorities, and all that I rely upon, so that I'm not relying upon God and walking in his ways, I'm an idolater. Idolatry comes in because God is invisible. Because we cannot see him. Because our life is a life of faith. So we have to pray for a strengthening of faith. And we ask God to, to remove, help us to remove any of those things, anything that blocks out our view of God and his word, that disturbs our obedience, that distracts us from walking with him, that distorts our view of God. Let's just do one more, very, very briefly. We'll come back next week. Impatience. The impatience of doubt. The invisibility of God. The impatience of doubt. Chapter 24 and verse 18 tells us that Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain. It's quite a long time, isn't it? A month and a half. Where are the people? Chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain the people gathered together and said, come make us gods. They're impatient. They're impatient. And if idolatry is a problem, then idolatry has a friend. Idolatry has a very close companion. And it's impatience. Why doesn't God do something? Why can't I get a husband? A Christian husband. Why can't I get a job? Why do I have to go through this? Why are things as they are? I'm going to do something. I'm going to take action. If God doesn't do it, I'm going to do it. Whatever you do, what is it? It's an idol, isn't it? Because faith says, I'll wait. I'll trust. Because God's way is best. And here the people, just 40 days, have only been in the wilderness three months. And these next 40 days pass so long. Where's Moses? I don't know. Where's he gone? He represented God to us. Well, we don't see God. We're not moving anywhere. Where is the promised land? What's going on? Why aren't we moving? The Egyptians, they'll come and get us soon. What about those Amorites? They'll attack us again. We've got to do something. Let's get a God. The impatience of doubt. You know, we could, we could get quite despondent, couldn't we? And next week we're going to see there are other things that come in. But I just want to turn you to something just to encourage you. Uh, and, and that's the next chapter. Look at chapter 33. Just before we finish, chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and all the people. Look at chapter 3 and verse 14. 
I've got to tell you this because otherwise we could get so depressed, couldn't we? And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Despite our idolatry, our foolishness, pictured here in these people, despite the idols we have in our minds and hearts, still he persists with us. Still his grace is amazing grace. Still he promises to take us to heaven. Still he promises to be with us. Rest assured, he's not forgotten you. He never will. But he wants you to know, and he wants me to know, how serious and real idolatry is. And he wants us before next Sunday to go looking and find out what those things are. And we'll see next week what other things cause us to be idolatrous.